Good morning, Christ Central. I'm Andrew, and it's my honor to continue our spiritual warfare series with Mark chapter 9, verses 17 to 29. Would you give your full and undivided attention? This is God's word for us this morning. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Would you now join me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that each Sunday we can come before you in your presence and hear your word. And Lord, today as we continue our series on spiritual warfare and looking into the spiritual realities, the spiritual realm, would you open up our eyes to see it for what it is and especially help us to understand the place of prayer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In times of crisis, often we as humans turn to religion and to prayer. This year definitely has demonstrated that that is true and many researchers have shown a surge, a spike in Google searches for the word prayer. When we go through seasons of life that are overwhelming and we just feel like there's nothing we can do anymore. When we reach the end of ourselves, where do we turn? And for many, that's prayer. That shouldn't surprise us now. It, did, it didn't surprise people back then. And here's an example of a father who's experienced a crisis, a time where he is so utterly overwhelmed. This father brings his demon-possessed boy, his son to Jesus, and we see the symptoms in many ways of, of someone who maybe struggles with Modern-day epilepsy, convulsions, seizures, foaming of the mouth, grinding of the, of the teeth. I do want to make a quick note that because you have a mental disorder or an illness doesn't mean that it is demonic activity that is behind it. It could be just 
natural, the result of a broken and fallen world. We don't want to draw such a, a hard line. But there are times where it could be demonic. And in this passage, that was the case. This father, he's, he's desperate. He's desperate. He goes to Jesus and Jesus even asks him, how long has the boy been like this? And he asks, not because he doesn't know, but I think part of this is also trying to show us more details, more context of the situation. Imagine how hard it must have been for this father to see his son, his son, his beloved son, who struggled this way since childhood, where this demon has even tried to cast the boy into fire and water to destroy him. Even his physical health was put in jeopardy, that he would have to watch that, that he would have to go through many years with the son he loved, seeing him suffer and struggle in this kind of a way. Imagine the toll it takes. Those of you who are parents, this, you can imagine just how heartbreaking this is to see someone you love so much struggle in this way, but feel so powerless. And this father probably tried everything. He went to all the teachers. He went to all the prophets. Can you do something? Can you help me? Can you make a difference? But even the disciples, they were helpless. I want to ask you today, do you experience, have you experienced that kind of desperation? Where maybe you felt overwhelmed by just the circumstances of life where you felt so utterly helpless. Maybe it has to do with finances and you just don't know if you're going to make it next month when it comes to rent. You don't know if you're going to be okay and you don't even have time to think so far ahead into the future because you have so many worries today. Maybe you're overwhelmed by relationships or the lack thereof that you feel overwhelmed by a sense of loneliness this season. And you feel isolated, disconnected. Or maybe you feel so alone because you've lost loved ones. You've lost people that you love so dearly to illness. Maybe it's physical health. That you're overwhelmed by the chronic pain that you feel day in and day out. And the doctors don't know what's wrong. And you keep struggling with the same thing. Or maybe it is mental illness, anxiety, depression. When we feel weak and overwhelmed and powerless, where do we turn? And in our passage today, I want to give us some hope. I think we can learn a lot from this father about God and about the place of prayer. Because prayer presumes that we need someone to do something when we can't. Someone outside of ourselves when we've exhausted all options. And as we continue our spiritual warfare series, today I want to turn our attention to this very important topic of prayer. Two points. First, what makes us pray with an E. And our second point, what makes us pray with an A. And we'll start with what makes us pray. I want to start backward with verse 28 and verse 29. When the disciples asked Jesus, they, they asked him privately, Hey, Jesus, right, you've given us all authority and we've done all these things in the past, but, but how come in this case we couldn't drive this demon out? 
And he says to them, this, can't, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. And so Jesus says prayerlessness is the reason why the disciples could not cast out this demon. Because they didn't pray, they were spiritually ineffective and powerless. Now to understand better what it means to be pray, I think we also need to understand what Satan is trying to do. What Satan is up to. You see, Satan, his goal, he seeks to destroy us. And we see that in our passage in verse 22, the demon would cast this boy into fire and water often to destroy him. And it's not just physical. Satan's goal is much more than that. He, he wants spiritual destruction, a broken relationship with God that is never going to be fixed. And he is trying to drag as many down with him. First Peter 5 eight says, be sober minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You see the devil, he, he fights hard and he's not going to go down easily. And we need to expect that. We shouldn't be surprised when we encounter opposition. And being alert and sober-minded, what that mean is, means is to regularly be praying and casting our burdens, our anxieties out on God. But why in this case did the disciples not pray? Right? It seems to many of us, especially if you grew up in church, this is fundamental. But these disciples, those closest to Jesus, didn't pray. Why? And I would propose it's because they fell into the tactics of Satan. And now I want to explore what some of those tactics are. You see, Satan's tactics, what he wants is for us not to pray. Because he knows that prayer is actually the only weapon that we have against him. Satan knows that prayerlessness means powerlessness. And so these are some of his tactics, his whispers that maybe you and maybe I've, that we've bought into at times. Three Ds. First, Satan likes to distract. He wants to distract us. He whispers, you're too busy. You're too busy to pray. Just, just do more. There's too many needs to attend to, too many emails you got to respond to. Too many people that demand your attention. And so just, just pray later. Don't worry about it. You always have tomorrow. Prayer is a luxury. It's a, it's a cherry on top. Do what you got to do first. And if you have time left over, then you can pray. Now, this distraction is so appealing to us because it appeals to our busyness. It makes us feel like, yeah, we have a lot going on. But busyness is a matter of priorities, isn't it? Priorities where prayer, if we're honest, oftentimes just doesn't make the cut. It just doesn't happen to be one of them. Maybe you're like me. You've experienced those days where you've gone largely the entire day without praying. And before you go to bed, you try to fit one in and your eyes grow heavy. And before you can even finish, uh, you don't remember what happened and you wake up the next morning. I think prayer often finds itself on the bottom of our list. And it doesn't help that these days, our phones, they, they record a lot of times how much time we spend on, on our phone, social media, Facebook, on Instagram. And it reminds us that our lack of prayer is not due to a lack of time. No, no, no. It's, it's because it's not a priority. 
And to combat this, I think we need to learn from Jesus to see what he did, that he would even reject great things. That the busier he got, he would actually set aside more time to withdraw and get away to go pray. He knew he needed it and we needed to. Satan's second tactic, he likes to deceive us. He whispers, you're fine on your own. You don't need God to succeed. Just do your thing. You're capable. What can God do for you? You got to do it for yourself. Now, if your aim is to succeed in a world that is passing away, then yeah, you can handle today without prayer. But if your goal is to make an eternal difference in this world, if your goal is to engage in spiritual war, then you need to fight with spiritual weapons. And so prayer becomes just as necessary as eating, as drinking, in fact, even as breathing. You see, the things you pray about are really the things you trust God to handle. And the things you don't, those are the things that you think you can handle on your own. And this applies even to the work of ministry, even to what the disciples were trying to do. And I think this is probably what they fell into. You see, what they didn't realize is that when we don't pray, in many ways, we're trying to do the work of God without God. They were trying to defeat Satan without Jesus. And that's just not going to happen. I wonder if the previous successes that they accomplished started to grow their pride and in a subtle way, they began to think, you know what, these victories, maybe it's because of what I did. And they began to fight today's spiritual battles on the basis of yesterday's successes. And that is not going to work. A second whisper that God uses to deceive us is God will do it, whether you pray or not, right? He's going to do it. God is sovereign. So don't, why, why bother? Why pray? Now, this is a, a doctrinal lie and it's a lie that really gets at our theology, this big word theology, right? But theology is immensely practical because you will live out what you believe, what you believe will make its way out into how you behave. And so the Bible doesn't only affirm the sovereignty of God, it also affirms our responsibility, right? That we have a role to play, that God is sovereign over the ends, but he is also sovereign over the means. And he means for you to pray. To use your prayers to accomplish real change real consequences and in one sense you could even say that if you didn't pray then certain things wouldn't happen because God chooses to use your prayers to accomplish his ends and I love that revelation the last book in the Bible makes that so clear with this word picture where it likens our prayers to incense that our prayers like incense go up to God and it gets him to act and it gets the gears going. It makes things happen. Prayer is the hard work. And it does produce real consequences. A third lie, the final lie that Satan does is he likes to denounce. He likes to denounce us into despair. You're not worthy to pray. How dare you think 
God will listen to you. You remember what you did yesterday? You remember what you thought earlier this week? God would never accept a prayer from someone like you. You're unlovable. Your faith is laughable. You should be ashamed. Now, part of this is true that sin does affect our relationship with God, our our fellowship, especially with God. But it's only half true because God gives us an open door policy to repent and forgiveness. I love what Martin Luther says, quote, we pray because we are unworthy to pray. Our prayers are heard precisely because we believe that we are unworthy. We become worthy to pray when we risk everything on God's faithfulness alone. You see, this is why we pray not in our name, but in Jesus' name, in his perfect name. Now, these lies, maybe as I've been speaking, some of them kind of come to your mind as to what you, you've believed, or maybe even now something has registered and you, you realize, man, I think that way sometimes. And you're not alone. You know, these, this topic of prayer sticks out to me because I confess before you that I'm, I'm bad at it. It's something I want to grow in and work on. And I see myself in the disciples, forgetful to pray. I'm guilty for falling into these tactics. And I bring this up so we can be more aware that when we hear these, this, these whispers, these voices, that we would know that they are not true. Now I want to move to our next point. Then what makes us pray and pray effectively? What makes our prayers work? Now this passage that we just read in Mark is also mentioned in Matthew 17 and in Luke 9. It's in three of the gospels. Mark's account is the most extensive. uh, And Matthew's account brings up something interesting where when the disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast out this demon? Matthew gives a different angle at the response. And in Matthew 17, verse 20, it reads, Jesus said to them, because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In verse 23 of our passage, Mark, this is the same sentiment, right? All things are possible for the one who believes. And so the point that I really want to hammer and highlight is faith and prayer are inseparable. They're inseparable. What makes us pray really is faith. Now you might have this question at this point. Well, if I've been answering, or if I've been asking these questions to God and praying for this and he's not answering Is it because I don't have enough faith? And I want to comment on unanswered prayers for a second. Is it because I don't have enough faith that these prayers aren't answered? I think most often that's not the case. I think more more, more times the case is that we put our faith in the wrong things. That some of us behind our prayers, the motivation is really our will, isn't it? It's my will be done. That it has to be this way because I think that this is best for my life. Now I want to make a comment. It's not necessarily a bad thing to pray things that you want and desire. But we have to submit that to God's will. We have to submit that under God's will. 
And this is why the Lord's prayer begins, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus models what it means to pray this way. And we see this in his prayer in the garden of Gethsemane, when he's pouring out his heart before God, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. If there's any other way, can we do that? Do I have to go to the cross? Do I have to be crucified and endure this utter humiliation? But listen to what follows. He says, yet not what I will, but what you will. You see, God's word and his will ought to shape our prayers. And the more in line with God's will our prayers are, the more you can bank on it that those prayers will be answered. But I want to assure you that you can trust God, that even if your prayers aren't answered, that you can trust him, that he's good, he is loving, and he is powerful, he's in control. And I love this quote by Garrett Kell. He says, unanswered prayer can be confusing for us, but not for him. He knows what we don't and sees what we don't. And on the last day, when we know what he knows, we'll accuse him of nothing but being faithful. Maybe today, this morning, you feel that way. You don't understand why God wouldn't answer a certain prayer. And it doesn't make sense to you. Would you trust him one day? It will make sense. Would you trust him that he is good and that he is loving? Now I want to get back to our passage and I want to contrast the disciples, their lack of prayer now with the father of this boy's prayer. In verse 22, this father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. To which Jesus responds, if you can, and all things are possible for one who believes and note the father's response. He cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, help me, help me. I, I'm a doubter. I'm, I'm struggling to trust you. And I realize that my faith is really weak, but I don't know where to turn and I need you. This is the prayer that Jesus hears and answers. See, in some sense, you could say the root of our sins, it is unbelief. It's because we don't take God at his word that we don't believe that God is who he says he is. Hebrews 3.12 makes that so clear. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. An unbelieving heart is associated with an evil heart, a heart that's ignorant about the true spiritual reality that leaves us in the domain of darkness on the side of the evil one, even if we don't realize it. And I want you to see this confession of, the boy, uh, of this father today, that he responds so differently from the disciples because he is so painfully aware of his limitations, his inability. Charles Spurgeon comments on this father's cry. Help my unbelief is something a man can only say by faith. While men have no faith, they are unconscious of their unbelief. But as soon as they get a little faith, then they begin to be conscious of the greatness of their unbelief. You see, the beauty today 
is that it's not so much the size of our faith that matters, but it's the size of the one we put our faith in. That God doesn't expect from us perfect faith, but all it takes is true faith. And the good news is that small faith is true faith. And true faith is so aware, painfully at times, aware of its inadequacy, its shortcomings, its flaws. Nevertheless, true faith is enough. We need God not only to help our situations and circumstances, but we also need his help to believe that he can do something about it. And this is why faith and prayer are so inseparable. It's because we pray to a person and we place our faith in a person. Effective prayer that fights against the forces of the evil one requires a trusting relationship with Jesus. Now, after this cry of faith, the father, he, he's out of the picture. We don't see him as a character. Uh, he doesn't come up again. His part's over and the focus now turns to its rightful place, the main character of our story, and that's Jesus. You see, Jesus, in verse 25 to 7, he rebukes the demon out of this boy. The demon doesn't go without a final struggle. He convulses the boy terribly to the point where observers comment that he's dead, that he's like a corpse. But in verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now this language should sound a little familiar. That a little bit later, that it would make a whole lot of sense. This same wording that a death and resurrection of sorts happens to this boy in being released from demonic oppression And it provides a picture of what it would take for Jesus to fully defeat and and fully beat Satan. That Jesus would have to die, but just like this boy, that he would be lifted up again and that he would arise. And he would do that to set the captives free from sin. To set us free from sin, death, the evil one. To bring us into newness of life. No longer in the domain of darkness, but under the dominion of the kingdom of heaven. And then he empowers us with his own power to be his spiritual soldiers, to go out into this world on his behalf, giving people, giving others the hope of the resurrection, the future hope of glory. This season, I think a lot of us need that. Don't you? that we need to be reminded that we have an imperishable hope, that we see ourselves in this boy, that when we are helpless and cannot save ourselves, we need someone to come and do it for us. And this is what Jesus did. And this is what he's continuing to do in and through us. I want to leave us with just two final words of application. And it's this first plan for prayer plan for prayer. There are times we're told to pray without ceasing, but there's also times that we're called to give a special focus on prayer, to withdraw and give a particular season uh, a little bit more attention. 
to schedule it in, to write it down, to put it into your calendar, maybe even create a prayer log to be more intentional about it. And often it's those who believe that pray and answered prayer often strengthens faith. You see, our church, we're planning for prayer. From October 17th to October 31st, our staff session and our leaders are calling us to set apart a time for prayer and fasting. Why? Why now? Well, 2020 has been a crazy year. And we know many members, many of those in our family, brothers and sisters who are struggling, who quite frankly feel overwhelmed and desperate, whether it's illness, finances, or even loss of loved ones. I think this year for all of us has made it quite clear how not in control we are. This two-week period also is special in that it bookends us resuming our in-person services. We're super excited about that. And also on the other side, October 31st is our ninth anniversary. And we think what better way to lead into this next season than with prayer and fasting. And so would you join us on the front lines? Because we refuse to be prey. We're going to pray. And so each day, a prayer topic will be posted on our social media pages. Please follow us and join us as we pray and fast together. I want to make a quick note about fasting. It's interesting. Some manuscripts add in uh, this, this last passage that this kind of demon cannot be driven out by anything but prayer and fasting. And so they add fasting. Fasting was so tied to prayer that everyone back then, it was such a common spiritual discipline. And for us, we also want to fast to allow ourselves to be physically hungry, to say, God, we know that there's so much more than just the physical. And just like how we're physically hungry, we are spiritually hungry for more of you. We are desperate for more of you. And we recognize our utter helplessness and our utter powerlessness without you. Second, pray the word. Our prayers need to be in line with God's will. How will you know unless you read his word? I love that the Lord's prayer, it makes it super clear to us. There's a sequence of importance. It rearranges our priorities. And when we pray the Lord's prayer, before we even get to the part about ourselves and our needs, It starts out by saying, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I think it rearranges our priorities by setting our focus first on God before it moves to us. And prayer reminds us of our place. That while we may be on our knees, silent and still, God is still at work. And that ultimately all, All is a result of his grace, not solely us, not our hard work by which we can take credit and glory for. And so as we pray the word, prayer changes us to be more dependent on him, to look more like him, to renew our minds so that we might have the mind of Christ. See, today, as we continue to journey through this life, 
of spiritual war, we need to fight with spiritual weapons. My hope and prayer for us, Christ Central, is that we would be more prayerful and that we would also be more prayer-filled. That we would not just be prey caught up in Satan's tactics to keep us powerless, but that we would be a praying people. And that we would remember that prayer is ultimately rooted in that relationship with Jesus himself. We have such intimate access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Would you join me now as we approach him together in exercising the greatest spiritual weapon we have? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that when we are overwhelmed with life, with everything that the enemy throws at us, that you are not. That you are mighty and you are in control, but also that you love us. And we see that clearly demonstrated when you came in our place on the cross. Lord, help us to trust in you. And as we do, would we respond with more and more prayer. Protect us, keep us from the evil one. And Lord, we hope and pray that we would be of use to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.